If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Outside of catcher and relief pitcher, second base is the only position that does not have a player being drafted in the first two rounds. Yikes. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. It's Tuesday. June 30th, Frank Stample here with Scott White and Chris Towers, and today is our second base preview 2.0, and boys, we've got our work cut out for us. How's it going, guys? It's going great. So good. So good, Frank. So good. So good to be talking so about good. second baseman, huh? Yeah. I don't know where Excited. I don't know where else you want me to go with this. It's, it's <laughs> just good. I'm glad to be here with you. I'm very excited to talk about second baseman. It's a fascinating position. One of the few positions where it might actually make sense to have a dedicated strategy oh. on draft day. You know, when you, when you look at the other positions, you can sort of just go best player available and you won't really go wrong. But second base is one of the few positions where, you know, the replacement level players for fantasy, you know, that, that 13 to 16 range in the rankings in your 12 team leagues, you know, they don't really help you all that much. And so that's one place where second base really does differ. And, you know, when we talk about position eligibility being dead, you know, it sort of comes with an asterisk where it's, except for maybe second base. Catcher, obviously, it's its own thing. Maybe. Maybe. But it's certainly the weakest position. Yeah. And it's certainly, I think, the one position where you can make the case that reaching for someone to make sure you don't have a hole could be a competitive advantage. Well, I'm happy you bring that up, Chris, because the first question I was going to ask you guys was, do you find yourself prematurely pulling second baseman up the board because of supply and demand? Scott, yesterday we spoke about the first base position as being maybe the second most shallow behind, of course, second base. So do you find yourself doing that? Do you make it a point heading into a draft to draft a second baseman early on? Um, I, I don't, those are different questions. I don't know that I necessarily make a point to draft a second baseman earlier, but I do like second base eligibility, a player who has that does get elevated in my rankings just because of that. You know, that's, that's a big benefit. And, um, it's, it's interesting. Second base could turn out to be really deep. Second base has a lot of interesting upside players that, you know, if if none of them live up to, to the our hopes for them, then there probably won't be 12 solid options at the position to go around, 12 worthwhile starters at the position. But if they all do, you know, then there'll, there'll be some excess. So uh, if you're the guy investing in one of those less proven types, like, uh, you know, like a Gavin Lux or a Garrett Hampson, um, you're, it, it could be great value, but you're also, you know, living dangerously there because what else is there to fall back on if, if they don't break through? Yeah. And we also have to figure out with the breakouts from last year, right? Is Cattell Marte for real? Is what he did last year real? Uh, is Jose Altuve starting to decline? These are all questions that we're going to answer throughout the course of today in our second base preview. Typically, we're not going to hit on news and notes here throughout our position previews. 
but it's worth mentioning the players who are opting out for this upcoming season for the 2020 60-game season. And so far, we have received notice that Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross, Mike Leake, and Ian Desmond are opting out of this season. So, Chris, you know, how at all does this affect fantasy baseball for this season? Yeah, it, you know, in in the case of, um, you know, Ryan Zimmerman is probably the one, uh, and Ian Desmond are probably the two guys who won't be playing who, you know, do create some playing time uh, for, you know, other players in 2020. And, and I think you look at Howie Kendrick uh, for the Nationals, he's likely to be someone who sees more playing time either as that DH or filling in at first base uh, for Ryan Zimmerman. They also have Eric Thames who could uh, see additional playing time as a result of this. He's someone I actually added in a uh, – 14 team league that we drafted back in January for the fantasy sports and gaming association conference. Uh, because a lot has changed since January. Oh yeah. You guys know that. (laughs) And, uh, he was the best corner infield option available. Um, and so those are the two for the nationals who should see more playing time. And then for the Rockies, um, one, I highly recommend you go read Ian Desmond's Instagram post for, you know, explaining kind of his thought process behind holding out and, and everything that's going on in the world at large. Uh, it's really thoughtful. It's really worth your time. So I, I highly recommend reading that. And then, you know, from the the baseball perspective, it just, it sort of clears up a little bit of the playing time uh, log jam that the Rockies were likely to have. You know, last year in September, it was Ian Desmond typically platooning with Sam Hilliard and Sam Hilliard was on the stronger side of that platoon. So, you know, I don't know if it necessarily frees up more playing time for Sam Hilliard, but, you know, if he does prove that he can hit lefties, maybe there's an opportunity there with the additional plate appearances. And yeah, they and it, they it, signed it, Matt Kemp. I don't – I hope that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, there was – Never say um, never with the Rockies, man. <laughs> there was always a concern that they would just – because Ian Desmond has a big contract and, like, they would just go back to playing him every day. And, and now at least that concerns out. Like, any – any uh, anything that frees up the log jam more, you got the DH bot being added. Now you have Ian Desmond out of the picture, and that's going to be good news for Hilliard, Hampson, who can of course play all over. Uh, it's going to be good news for McMahon, who might have lost more at bats to Hampson now that he doesn't have to lose. It's uh, you know the, ex- the the players we were excited about seeing more of from the Rockies now have fewer obstacles there. And yet there's also Rymel Tapia, who, who knows how he's going to factor into the mix. I know Scott doesn't agree with this, but I, I just hope the Rockies sign Yasiel Puig. That. I know that would that be bad would be for a lot of the guys that, <laughs> that Scott in particular likes a lot. Uh, yeah. I just want to see Yasiel Puig play, and Yasiel Puig in course field would be oh my. so much fun. Let's do it. Let's make that happen. Yeah. Uh, Scott, I guess this means that Zach Gallen will be in the Diamondbacks rotation after all. I know back in spring <laughs> training, it seemed like they were saying Mike yeah. Leake was going to be, uh, that Zach Allen was on the outside looking in, but it looks like now with Leak opting out, Merrill Kelly will be the fifth man in the rotation. Zach Gallen has a job. Uh, yeah, no, there was, there was a minor freak out in the winter when early depth charts showed Zach Gallen uh, maybe not in the rotation, but it was pretty clear that Merrill Kelly was the one getting the bump there and not Gallen. So now, really, Ke- Kelly, um, I forgot his name now. I just said Merrill it. Kelly. Merrill Kelly. Yeah, now he has a job. That's That would be the takeaway there with Leak sitting out. All right, guys, let's get back to the second base preview and start things off with our ADP review and looking at this elite tier. I guess you can call it an elite tier. It's just the top tier of second baseman this season. But these players are going in rounds three and four right now. And it's Glaber Torres. The first second baseman off the board, he also has shortstop eligibility. 29.4 is his ADP. Jose Altuve at 31.8. Ozzy Albies at 37.2. And Cattell Marte at 40.2. Of course, Cattell Marte has second base and outfield eligibility. And guys, I actually put a poll up earlier today asking amongst this group, these guys are all separated by 11 picks, who people want to draft the most. Scott, how do you think that that poll turned out? Were you asking relative to their ADP or were you just asking straight up? 
I said, which do you find yourself drafting most among those four players at uh, their current costs? So it was kind of implied that current, yeah, current cost. Uh, I think Cattell Marte won. That's certainly my answer. I would say Ozzy Albies. It was Ozzy Albies. It was Albies one. It was Cattell Marte two, Glaber Torres three, and Jose Altuve four. Like, Uh-oh. I get that. Like, this is a, this is a situation where Jose Altuve is being dinged for having been like worlds better than any of these guys in the past because like he was not that much worse if at all than them last season Jose Altuve had a really good 2019 but because that 2019 was a down was on the downward trend I mean it was better than 2018 but it was still from where he used to be you know this number one overall pick kind of player uh, I think he's being unfairly dinged there, whereas like the rest of these guys are perceived to be on the upswing. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't sum that up for Altuve. This, like he, he had, he doesn't run anymore. Uh, sure. and his batting average, I guess, was down. But like he, his power production was unsustainable by far the best of his career. And so I sure. think people look at that and and think, okay, well if he's if. If he's declined in these other ways and we can't count on him repeating that career best power season again, 31 home runs, career high. I don't think he'd ever even hit 25 in a season before. His home run production was no more or less sustainable than Glaber Torres's last year. And that's why I don't draft Um, either one of them. I I think both of them have their warts. And look, for Altuve, he had a 23% home run to fly ball ratio last year. It was never higher than 14.6%. Sure. So you can argue that he was helped out by the juice ball. Maybe he sold out for power a little bit. Uh, the 298 batting average was his lowest since 2013. You started to see the plate discipline slip as well. Career high 15% strikeout rate, which is not but, bad relative to other players, but it's bad for Jose Altuve. And his walk see, rate was the lowest since 2015. So but I, I think we have signs there, Chris. But you do see how we're talking about it. Like yeah. Ozzy Albies, when we talk about Ozzy Albies, one of the key things we talk about, like, yes, it's this great overall production, but also he's going to really help you in batting average, man. He is, he is a high batting average player, lots of line drives, doesn't strike out all that much. He had a lower batting average than Jose Altuve. And so this is what I mean when we talk about players who are on the decline. We, we don't necessarily view them as they actually are. We view them as what they used to be and how that relates to how they are now. Like Jose Altuve might have overperformed last year. You know, he did have a 282 XBA that was lower than his actual batting average. He had a 210 expected ISO, which is still much better than what we've seen from him in the past. And so, you know, what that suggests to me is that, you know, he doesn't stand out in exit velocity, sure. Uh, but he did have his best barrel rate. But what that suggests to me is that if the 31 home runs were unsustainable, it's still not the kind of thing that you should look at and say, oh, well, this was a total fluke. You know, if you're the saying stats do back it up to a certain extent. If you're saying Altuve versus Albies, I mean, I'm taking Altuve. My, my personal ranking of these four goes uh, Cattell Marte, Jose Altuve, and then I actually have them in a separate tier from Glaber Torres and Ozzy Albies. So I'm, I'm with you there. But I, I think, you know, one variable we're not accounting for here in the results of that poll is, you know, everybody's downgrading Astros hitters, right? Sure. Especially Jose Altuve. I mean, he was kind of at the forefront of the, the scandal with the... Uh, uh, I mean, he was being no, singled no, no. out for that right, video that of was- him... Not right, taking your shirt off, you know. When we had that that one guy who went through and did like the statistical analysis of like when you could hear the bangs, when you couldn't, which wasn't definitive proof. You know, there yeah. was a lot of non, uh, you know, a not bang was was as much of a signal sometimes as a bang. Yeah, Altuve was found to I I believe have had the fewest. Yeah, he was among, and, and, among all their players. And and I, look, I think it's stupid to downgrade it because of that. I I really don't think it's going to show up in the stats at all. But I'm just saying, I don't think average fantasy baseball player like they're they're applying this punitively. <laughs> like they right. they were happy to see the Astros go down, and now 
you know, it's it. They're almost gleefully passing up Jose Altuve because of that, and and I think that's that's probably reflected in the poll results. When it comes to the other players who are being drafted in this same range, Glaber Torres, you might have heard it before. He had 13 home runs against the Orioles last year. He had a 1,500 OPS and provided one of my favorite moments. Poor Gary Thorne had to continue calling these home runs last year. Give you a, bit, uh, a quick listen here. In the air to right field, Mancini going back on the ball by Torres. Way back, up, and... <laughs> I don't even know. That, that little, like, gasp, that was Gary Thorne just, like, losing his mind based on what Glaber Torres did against the Orioles last year. But, Scott, a 786 OPS with a 267 batting average versus everybody else, I kind of have my skepticism when it comes to Glaber Torres. Even in a points league, 3.3 fantasy points per game, that was tied for eighth at the position. I'm not going to own any Glaber or Altuve this year. Yeah. Uh, he Glaber Torres is kind of like the second base version of of uh, Pete Alonso in that the main thing he provides is power. He should provide a lot of power. Will he provide as much power as he did last year? Well, the the underlying numbers suggest not. They suggest he overachieved in that one area that makes him special. Um, but when you look at what he's accomplished, I, I mean, it, he basically overachieved to the same extent during his partial 2018 season and 2019 season. So it hasn't really leveled off yet. Still, assuming it does, I, I mean, he's done what he's done through age 22. Like he's, he's barely even a man at this point. And um, I don't feel like his worst case scenario, like his worst case scenario is still a must start player, which, you know, particularly at this position, you can't say that for everybody. So he, he strikes me as a guy who probably overachieved last year, but nonetheless is safe and probably hasn't shown us the full extent of his potential yet either. So it's, it's kind of where I was with Ozzy Albies last year, I think heading into last year. Uh, when remember there was a lot of skepticism surrounding him after his season was so front loaded and uh, yet he still went fairly early and he lived up to it. And I think Torres could follow that same pattern. I don't have any shares of him myself because I just don't believe in, in paying up for something you haven't, you're not really, you know, you're not believing, you're not believing he'll live up to the price tag you pay for him. But that's, that's kind of the, uh, the positive spin on Glaber Torres, I guess. One stat that I've brought up, uh, and I, I know we want to move on from the top guys a little quicker, but since 1969, 11 players have hit at least 11 home runs against one team in a season. Collectively, they averaged 53.2 home runs per season. Uh, that's a, with a median of 52. So these were huge seasons, bigger than Glaber's even. Uh, and fewer of their home runs relatively came against that same team. The following year, that group averaged 40.9 home runs per season prorated to the same playing time. So that was like a 20-ish percent decline in the amount of homers they hit the next season. None of those 11 players hit more home runs the following season. And only Sammy Sosa in 1998, Jim Tomey in 2002, and Dale Murphy in 1993 hit at least 90% as many home runs as the previous season. So in Glaber Torres' case... 90% as many would be 34. And so, you know, based on that history, you'd expect Labor to hit 76.8% as many home runs as last season. Prorated to a full season. That would be 29. This isn't like a perfect, it's not gospel. It doesn't necessarily mean that's, that Glaber Torres is fated to have that kind of regression. But given the history of a player dominating one team to that extent, it, it is almost not, it is almost never indicative of a real talent disparity or a real skill. You know, it's like the Orioles pitching staff probably won't be as bad as it was last year, at least against the Yankees. Um, and so that's a big part of why, you know, I do have Glaber, I think on one team, it was an auction we did and he went for like 14 bucks or something. And so the price was too good, but otherwise, yeah, he's, he's someone I don't really have a lot of interest in. So, Scott, you're most likely to take Cattell Marte from this group. Chris, who are you most likely to draft? Uh, you 
could say none if you just don't yeah, ever draft I mean, these I don't, guys. Don't love this group. I'm not sure I have that many shares of any of them. It's probably Marte if it's anyone. Yeah, Ozzy Albies for me, my number one second baseman in both formats. Has some weird splits thing going on, but uh, continuing to improve every single season. And he is just 23 years yeah. old. He's going to bat I, I, second for the Braves. So he's going to see a lot of great pitches to hit batting between Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna. I have to ask Frank because, like, do you ranking Albies number one? Do you see that as like a safety thing, or because I I don't feel like upside wise he can compare to Cattell Marte or even Jose Altuve. Well, based on the strides that he's made so far in batting average, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that he makes another stride and hits over 300. I still think that the speed uh, could improve as well based on his sprint speed in terms of uh, how many steals he actually gets in a season. But I have find my, found myself ranking safe players higher this season than before. I've mo- moved Roberto Osuna to number one. I have Jose Abreu ranked very high. So maybe that's mm-hmm. just a philosophy thing that I'm coming to learn about myself and my rankings. S- second question. Does it being a, only a 60-game season and Jose... And Jose um, Ozzy Albies being this guy who excels by being pretty good at everything as opposed to really good at one thing. I mean, he's not going to deliver a high home run and steals total. And when like that, does he deserve to be downgraded when you chop the season into such a small portion that it's, it's likely he'll, you know, he just won't make a significant, any kind of impact really in home runs and steals just because of, you know what the way a season normally plays out those things tend to come in bunches and he may miss the chance at a bunch but i feel like that's relative to everybody isn't it scott like numbers are going to be down across the board so maybe he won't excel and hit 24 home runs or you know uh, like he has the past two seasons but if he gives you in a 60 game season 10 home runs 8 to 10 steals i don't think that that's bad yeah if he does yeah but i'm saying it could be more like one and four like it's 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 weird i mean the other side of the coin is like somebody like joey gallo i'm more interested in drafting him because if he goes on one of those runs where he hits like 15 homers in three weeks then he's really going to set your team apart i'm just saying somebody like ozzy albies couldn't isn't capable of having a run like that where he um, i I don't agree with that though because he had that kind of run to start the 2018 season that's why everybody was was so high on him you know he had yeah but you know what i mean I when somebody like, has a, when somebody has like 50 homer potential versus somebody with 20 homer potential what is i feel like i'm not explaining this very well but like how much damage like what 60 game season isn't going to be like somebody's full length stats you know, 35% of that or whatever. It's not going to be that. It's going to be whatever section, whatever 60-game section from 162-game season uh, it's going to be, which, you know, it could be their worst 60-game stretch. It could be their best 60-game stretch. What does the best 60-game stretch look like for a 20-homer guy versus a 50-homer guy? And, you know, maybe it's not even worth comparing Albies to somebody like Gallo, but somebody like Marte who put up MVP numbers last year. Um, I don't know. I, I I mean, I generally think when you get into the player level version of this kind of analysis, it's probably a little fruitless because like Joey Gallo could have this massive 60 game stretch where he hits 20 home runs and it wouldn't be surprising or 24 home runs or something. Um, but it's equally likely that he has one of those stretches where he hits 180. Right. That's you know, what I was and thinking so too. I, I just... I, I did. It feels like you're kind of chasing impossible odds either way when you're trying to say this player versus that player is going to be going to benefit from this shortened season. I but somebody, say- but somebody in the in your league is going to get that guy who puts up the historic pace over a 60 game sample. And right. Like somebody, you you have to compete with that. Like there's, but there's no way to know beforehand. Right. There's no way the to thing. know beforehand. But if you're eliminating your chance of getting a guy who can do that, you know it's not going to be you. But don't you I mean, want a blend of both, Scott? Don't you want some players that are going to give you some safe production across the board and then maybe a few guys that have that high volatility where they can go on one of those runs, but they can equally go on a cold streak as well? I mean, Ozzy um, Albies has been pretty inconsistent in his career, too. It, you know, I, I think when we talk about like this monthly consistency thing, 
I think we tend to focus on a guy like Joey Gallo, that kind of profile, the, the high strikeouts, lots of power where we remember these really hot streaks, but you know, Ozzy Albies had a, a 56 game stretch to start 2018 where he had 14 home runs. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I just, I don't want to discount the, the, the possibility that Ozzy Albies can go on, you know, that stretch where he hit plays at his 95th percentile and, you know, Ozzy Albies 95th percentile probably ends up being a first round player. You know, if we're talking about a guy who could conceivably hit 310 with 30 homers and 20 steals over the course of a full season, like if you're talking about the upside upside play, his upside probably isn't that different than Francisco Lindor's. Yeah, I'm not sure I see his overall ceiling as being 30-20, but it's possible. We can move on. I don't mean to sidetrack us. I just think it's interesting because Ozzy Albies stands up. The way he stands out most from this group is having the lowest ceiling, in my mind. All right, guys, we're already making great time, so mm-hmm. <laughs> let's keep it going here. The next group is really rounds four and five. Uh, and even like Cattell Marte was a fourth round pick, but this is more uh, towards the back end of the fourth round, early fifth round. Whit Merrifield, Kesson Hiura, Jonathan VR, and DJ LeMayhew. One of these players is not like the other. That is Kesson Hiura, who is 23 years old, and I love Hiura for Roto Leagues. I uh, actually averaged 3.3 fantasy points per game in points leagues last year, but the plate discipline, you do have some question marks there. Um, what do you guys think about this group? Are we, I know we spoke about scheduling yesterday and we don't want to overrate it too much, but Jonathan VR does have the toughest schedule of probably any hitter that we're going to talk about. Yeah. And he's moving. I mean, the biggest issue is he's moving from Baltimore to Miami, which you don't get more drastic. You won't find many park changes more drastic than that one. He hit two thirds of his home runs at Camden yards last year. Um, en route to a career high, right? 24 home runs Yep. for yep. Jonathan VR. Uh, the steals, you know, are going to be there. Because the Marlins are so bad and have so few alternatives, the playing time, you know, even if he, even if the strikeouts catch up to him and he slumps end up performing more like his expected batting average numbers, uh, you know, he'll probably still play. He'll probably steal bases. And steals are so scarce that you, like, you have to pay up for him in a Roto League. I've done it before myself. Um, but, you know, there, there's, there are a lot more ways things could go wrong for Jonathan VR than go right, especially uh, when you're counting for his new surroundings. I, I actually do think he is someone who weirdly benefits from the universal DH because, you know, the Marlins' plan was to play him at center field, a position that he's never played before. And this is a team that also does have plenty of options to play center field. I think, you know, at least – two different guys in Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison, who they at least still have in Brinson's case, some uh, long-term hope for. And Monte Harrison obviously is one of their top prospects and both can play center field. And so I think there was some concern that if VR couldn't hack it at center field, then it might be a move to a super utility role or something like that. Uh, With the DH, you know, that's less of a concern. He might be someone who, you know, benefits at least a little bit because there's less of that risk. I think there's definitely risk with the playing time or uh, with the performance. You know, he's not going to hit for nearly as much power as he did last season, but you're not drafting him to do that. And, you know, over the last four seasons, basically since he's become an everyday player, you've had a 260 average three out of the four years. You've had a 50 steal pace three out of the four years. The one exception was obviously coming off that massive breakout in 2016 when he was one of the biggest disappointments in fantasy the following year. I think that sort of still gets hold, held against him a little bit. He's viewed as this really risky player. Uh, but if you view him for what he's likely to do, which is give you a roughly average batting average, not help or hurt you much, steal a bunch of bases and score some runs, you know, I, I think he's a fairly safe bet for that. Scott, I think you can argue that Kesson Hira should be part of the first group that we talked about. While, you know, he doesn't have a lot of experience thus far, he was amazing last year. You know, especially by the stat cast numbers, you can argue he was the best second baseman. First in barrels per plate appearance, third in average exit velocity, uh, fourth in average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. He hits the ball extremely hard. Yes, he had a high BABIP last year. Should take a little bit of a step back. But, Scott, when you hit the ball as hard as he does, 
that somewhat explains a high Babbitt for Kesson Hira. Yeah, it does. And, you know, just project out his numbers and it, it, it comes out to basically a 40 homer, 20 steal pace for Keston Hira. Guy was drafted high, top prospect from the day he was drafted. I mean, he comes up and makes this kind of impact. Of course, you have reason to be excited. And the thing is, even, even if you, you know, you want to ding him for that 402 BABIP and say, oh, he's obviously going to regress. I mean, strikeouts weren't an issue for him in the minors until he got to AAA. I mean, he was striking out like 18 to 20% of the time everywhere else. So I, I don't know that we should just assume he's going to be this 30% strikeout guy for his entire career. Uh, even I think even that AAA rate is misleading because it got much better as the season went on. It was 26.3, so high. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know that strikeouts are going to be a long-term issue for Hira, and that might be something he he overcomes this year. Even if he doesn't, I think the overall production is going to be really high. It might be closer to a 260, 270 batting average. But yeah, Keston Hira is, he's a trendy pick. So, you know, I don't end up with as many shares of him as I would like. But if he lasts to like, you know, round five, I've even seen him last around six sometimes. I'm all over that, all over it. Chris, Whit Merrifield goes at pick 47, late fourth round, and DJ LeMahieu goes at pick 57, late fifth round. Uh, I will tell you right now, I will not own any Whit Merrifield. His stolen bases got more than cut in half last season. He had 20 steals, 10 caught stealing. Uh, worried about Mike Matheny as his manager as well in terms of running. And then DJ LeMahieu, I would say that you're paying for a career year, but you're not because he was like the 21st best player in Roto and his ADP is 57. Yeah, you're not paying entirely. It's, it's kind of like Catal Marte and Marcus Simeon, two guys who, you know, you're buying them at the highest price that they've ever been at, but you're not necessarily paying that full price coming off the career year. Uh, you know, if we were taking uh, Catal Marte at face value, he's probably a top 15 pick. If we're taking uh, DJ LeMahieu at face value, he's a top 30 pick. And so there is still some value there. If you believe that last season represented a, you know, a new type of baseline for them. Um, I'm more skeptical of LeMahieu, given that it was, you know, a later career break. Like he's 31, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're, when you're talking about Marte, like he was a 25 or 26 year old top prospect. DJ LeMahieu had been around for a long time. And while Colorado, (laughs) yeah. And playing in Colorado and he had never had a season this good in terms of power. Now, you know, there were people before the season who said that DJ LeMahieu may not uh, struggle as much with the move from Colorado as you would normally expect, given his bad at ball profile, his opposite field tendencies and how that would play in New York. Uh, But nobody saw this coming. And so I, I'm more skeptical of LeMahieu just because of where it came in his career, who he's been in the past. I don't draft him much. I can't say that I don't like that that price or that I dislike it entirely. It's just it's not a price that I want to pay, but I don't hate it. You you don't draft him much in part because you're drafting with me all the time. Sure. And this is my most drafted <laughs> second baseman, probably DJ LeMayhew. And sometimes he ends up being my first baseman, just depending on the way the rest of the draft plays out. Uh, yeah, I think, I think the only thing to be skeptical of is the power. And even if he, let's say he, he, he hits half the pace of home runs he did last year. I mean, he's still a high OBP, high average leadoff guy for maybe the, best lineup in baseball is going to score a ton of runs and uh, i just don't think the downside is that low and you know the upside could be second third round caliber so yeah i like i like drafting dj lemayhew a lot especially in roto league since you know he's so safe for batting average and that's a difficult category to fill yeah i was gonna say he's great in both formats 3.7 fantasy points per game last year that was second among all second basemen. And then obviously in Roto, he gives you batting average. Runs are a pesky category too. And DJ LeMahieu is going to score a lot of those. Scott gave us his second baseman, most likely to draft from this group. Chris, for you, LeMahieu, VR, Kesson Hiera, and Whit Merrifield. Hiera for sure. When you when you look at the profile, it's just so much of it screams superstar. Yeah. And, you know, aesthetically, his swing looks a lot like Mike Trout's. 
that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's fun to say. Like when he gets a hold of one and drives it to center field, there was a bomb he hit to to center during spring training where it was just like, oh, that was that Mike Trout wearing a Brewers uniform? It was that kind of thing. And, you know, he's not Mike Trout, obviously. Uh, but, man, he looked like he has all the makings last year of an elite player. That strikeout rate is a bit of a concern, but like Scott said, wasn't an issue hardly at all in the minors. And so – if he cuts that, you could be talking about a guy who, you know, he was talked about as like a future batting title contender as a prospect. And all of a sudden he's got all this power too. Um, it's a really, really exciting profile. This could be your last opportunity to draft him outside of the top 20 for the next eight years. I'm with you. Hiura is the second baseman in this group I'm most likely to take. All right, let's promote a few things real quick. Friday, we're going to have a mailbag here. Continue to send in your questions, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. And you want to guarantee that we read your question on air, send us an Apple Podcast review, a five-star Apple Podcast rating, and drop your question in there, and we will read it on our mailbag this Friday. And Chris, we mentioned it yesterday. we got to mention it again. The commissioner product for fantasy baseball this season is free. This is normally a $150 value, and you're getting this for free. So, look, fully customizable. We've been getting questions, Chris. How do I play double headers? How do I play triple headers in head-to-head leagues? The commission product is how you do it, Chris, and it's free. Yeah, no, it's, you know, if, if it's the kind of thing where you've always wanted to try it out, but the the entry fee was was a little too, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of free options out there. If your your league mates didn't want to pay that $150 price, I would say just talk to them. Let's try CBS out this year and, you know, see what, see if you like it. You know, the, the, the customization options are endless, the, the roster, the keeper, you know, minor league spots, all that stuff, you know, you really do have full control, you know, go read Scott's, uh, you know, his, his Scott White dynasty league that, uh, you know, the piece he wrote about that, this 2014 league with all kinds of different options, you know, CBS commissioner is what, what what makes that type of league possible. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So make sure you try it out. It's free. Why not? All right, we're going to take a break there. When we come back, sleepers, breakouts, and busts at the second base position here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball today. Frank Stanfield, Scott White, and Chris Towers. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts at the second base position. Scott, start us off with a sleeper here. My sleeper is Garrett Hampson. And the sleeper appeal goes up with, with it. Seems like with every every major event that happens, the introduction of the DH, Ian Desmond now removing himself from the equation there, Hampson. Uh, it's it's hard to imagine at this point that he's not going to play a significant role for the Rockies this year. And I mean, this is a guy who we were hyping as a sleeper last year. At the time, he was considered the number two prospect in the organization for Baseball America. Uh, real good leadoff profile with on-base skills and speed. And, you know, obviously didn't live up to it for most of the season, but caught fire late after making an adjustment to his swing. I think he I think he ditched a leg kick or something like that. And just like the, the last two weeks of the season, it, he did, he hit like 
three quarters of his home runs and stole three quarter of his bases for the year. Like that was the Garrett Hampson we were hoping to see all along. Obviously the Rockies, their, their home environment uh, presents him with, um, you know, will help make up for any skills deficiencies that are still there. And there's a chance he could end up being a halfway decent power source on top of it all. And if he ends up moving up the lineup, it's more like a leadoff role uh, for a team that always scores a bunch of runs. I mean, you're, I don't think it's out of the question to think Garrett Hampson could be an elite second baseman at this time next year. Obviously a lot has to go right and he has to get that consistent playing time, but as versatile as he is and as, as the way circumstances have changed for the Rockies just over the past few weeks, I think it's very likely he will. Garrett Hampson's ADP is 210. According to fantasy pros, he has second base and outfield eligibility. Chris sleeper at second base. You know, we talked about DJ LeMahieu and how, uh, how good he was last year. There's a player uh, who's basically being undrafted in most leagues with a, with the potential to give you a very similar profile, also a similar profile to someone like Jeff McNeil. And that's Tommy LaStella who, you know, had been basically your classic punch and Judy hitter. Uh, I think that's the correct usage of that term. It's a fun term. Um, <laughs> I have no clue. Got to Google that. He had 10 career home runs in 396 games with a .098 ISO coming into 2019. Those are all bad. Uh, Don't need to give you context. They're just bad. All of a sudden, last year, he comes out and hits 16 homers in the first 78 games of the season. And then he fractures his leg and plays two games the rest of the year. It's actually really, like, frustrating for me as an analyst that he got hurt because we didn't get to see whether he would keep it up. And it was such a dramatic change from who he had been. Uh, you know, he'd always been someone who makes a ton of contact. Last season, he cut his strikeout rate even further. 11.8% for his career, 8.7% last year. Uh, hit the ball a little bit harder. Hit the ball in the air a little bit more. Uh, and I think there was, like, some kind of swing approach or swing change yeah. that he Went talked about. Went back to his college swing, I think. Yeah, with a little bit more of a leg kick maybe. But, you know, one thing looking at, like, the pitch level data, he crushed fastballs, and he swung at first pitches more than ever. And actually had a lower swing rate overall, despite swinging at the first pitch more often. So, you know, he basically made that adjustment of, you know, if you're going to challenge me with that first pitch, I'm going to attack it. And otherwise, you know, I'm going to still be selective. And it really worked out for him. He crushed fastballs. He was pretty good on breaking balls. Off-speed pitches weren't good. Um, But, you know, if he plays every day for this Angels team, you're talking about someone who will almost certainly – uh, be near 300 with his contact skills. And if he can sustain even some of the power gains that he made last season, you know, the profile doesn't look that different from Jeff McNeil. A punch and Judy hitter is the type of hitter who usually just tries to slap hit, meet the ball to better guide it to open areas on the field or have better chance of falling in. I've never, <laughs> I had no idea. I looked at what punch and Judy was. It's like these little Muppet things. I have, no, I have no clue. Oh, yeah, is. yeah, yeah. One of them's got a little bat, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. never heard of that like before. Um, there are questions about whether he's going to play every day. Sleeper. Yeah, that, that, that's the biggest drawback is he's a left-handed hitter and uh, they have people they can platoon him with. Joe Madden likes that stuff. So, But, you know, if he is an everyday player with those skills, batting leadoff in front of Trout and Rendon and Otani, uh, he could... Lestella could be an absolute steal. Um, I've 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 been wondering lately if I if I'm really so sure he's going to sit so often that I need to have him as low as I do. Sleeper for me is Nick Madrigal of the Chicago White Sox, the prospect there, and he uh, is on their 60 man roster as of now. We don't know if he's going to start the season with the team or if he's going to be there for development purposes, but I lean towards he is going to start the year with the Chicago White Sox, a career 309 hitter in the minors, 35 steals across three different levels last season. We'll give you nothing in power, so keep that in mind. He has talk about a punch and Judy hitter. Four career home runs in the minor leagues. He will give you nothing, but he does not strike out. He has good play discipline. He can walk a decent bit, so I'm kind of interested he might find his way towards the top of the lineup there with the Chicago White Sox. That is Nick Madrigal. Scott, a breakout at second base. Oh, man. Um, breakout at second base, I'm going to go with Kevin Biggio. Mm. Who? Uh, Scott, yeah, let's I, do I, it. I, That's I my breakout. Think, yeah, I, I think people are maybe 
maybe sleeping on the upside here for Kevin Biggio. Does that mean he's a sleeper instead? I don't know. But uh, particularly in terms of being a power speed guy, um, last year, Kevin Biggio, you know, he was up for basically half the season, maybe a little more than that. Um, only one, only three hitters had a lower ground ball rate than him. Meaning they, they put the ball in the air more often than Kevin Biggio did. And those three hitters were Mike Trout, Yasmani Grandal, Alex Bregman. Pretty good company. One of them's Mike Trout. Only one hitter had a better walk rate than Kevin Biggio, and it was Mike Trout. So, I mean, and he was 14 for 14 in stolen bases. Never got caught stealing a base. So, you know, that's a skill that uh, he's going to continue to uh, deliver on. He's going to have all the incentive in the world to keep running. Um, In his case... You know, you could make the case that he elevates the ball too much. Maybe he walks too much, is a little overly patient, and and that's going to keep his batting average, uh, you know, less than optimal. Maybe like 250, 260 hitter. Maybe that's all the upside you're talking about there. But he could be a 30-30 guy, that kind of pace, with a ton of walks, which obviously will make up for the low batting average and uh, the lack of hits, I guess, in a, in a points league. and in, in a roto league, it really helps his run scoring potential too. So he's, he's better than whatever batting average he's projected for. And when you consider the steals are such a big part of his profile as well. And those being in such high demand in Roto, um, I would say he's, he's commonly, commonly a steals pick for me in, uh, in the middle rounds, because I don't think his ADP is being pushed up for his steals potential the way it is for so many other players. Yeah, I'll just piggyback off what you said for Kevin Biggio. He's my breakout pick as well. He had a really big September where he hit 300 with four home runs and five steals. And Chris, I know that you have said before that you think he needs to be more aggressive at the plate. That's exactly what happened in September. His chase rate went up 6%. His swing percentage went up 3%. So, you know, room for that to to grow even more. Um, And I think lost amidst everything is the fact that he had a 27.6% line drive rate that would have ranked second in baseball if he qualified last year. So yes, hits a lot of fly balls, but also hits a lot of line drives, can hit home runs, can steal bases, has the pedigree, improving lineup. I'm with you. Kevin Biggio, a breakout pick for me. Chris, who's your breakout pick? I can't tell if you're grinning or not, but I think you might be. Well, Keston here is my breakout okay. pick. And we don't need to spend much time on him. So right. I'll move right on to my bust pick. Kevin Biggio. <laughs> <laughs> I us. think he I think he is passive, not selective. He does not swing at pitches outside of the strike zone. Yes. And that's a good thing. He does not swing at pitches inside of the strike zone. That is a bad thing. It leads to a lot of called strikes. It leads to a lot of called third strikes. And the problem is he's not necessarily someone I look at. You know, I've made the comparison to Yon Moncada a lot. Uh, as someone who was also just taking way too many third strikes, just way too passive, needed to be more aggressive. And he did it last season and broke out and was you know, one of the biggest break- breakouts in baseball. And I, I really love Yohan Mankata. The difference is there, Yohan Mankata has elite tools. Uh, you know, a really fast runner, with Ka- which Kevin Biggio has, but also good things happen when Yohan Mankata puts the bat on the ball. He hits the ball really hard. He has, uh, you know, a high barrel rate, high average exit velocity, all those things that we look at and say, man, it's really good when that guy makes contact with the ball. Kevin Biggio was in the 41st percentile on exit velocity last year, uh, 56th percentile on hard hit rate, 62nd percentile on barrel rate. That's all not good. Like at best, it's slightly above average. And so that says to me that, yeah, he can be more aggressive. But is that necessarily better for him as a player than maintaining that high walk rate? I don't know. And then I look at, you know, he only played 100 games last season. So, you know, I have my my tool where it, I can sort by roto value based on a per game basis and just put everybody on the same playing, uh, playing field as far as playing time goes. He was 93rd in roto value on a per 150 game pace last season. That means that being drafted, what, 150th or so right now, 125th, that's probably a little rich for what he actually did last season. So now you're talking about a 
a guy who has these real concerns about his game, about his approach and about his skills, who also needs to get better to just justify the cost he's being drafted at right now. That is just, it's not a bet I want to make. Did you say 90th best player or 90th best hitter? 93rd best hitter. Okay. Yeah. So that's all right. Um, well, you're, it's okay. You're allowed to be wrong here, Chris. Scott, who's your, who's your bus pick at second base? So I'm torn between two here. I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with Jonathan VR, uh, who we've already talked about a little, so I probably don't need to get that deep into it, but, uh, the bottom line is the batted ball profile is pretty awful for him. He strikes out a lot. Uh, doesn't walk much at this stage of his career. His expected batting average last year was 249, and previous two years it was 231, 229. Um, now, as a speed guy, he might be able to outperform that to some degree, but I, I still think it's likely, especially if you're knocking off two-thirds of his home runs, that he's a 240 hitter without much power, obviously. Like I said earlier, he's going to run. And steals are so in demand, that's always going to have some value in Roto Leagues. I myself have taken Jonathan VR in round five, maybe even round four, just because you're looking at how many uh, other guys you can rely on for steals. And if you don't have any at that point, okay, here's this obvious 40 steal guy. You kind of have to do it. That's just where we are with stolen bases. But there's a chance Malik Smith is more valuable than Jonathan VR this year. And if that's the case... um, you know, that's 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 not going to be the best use of a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, like I said earlier, there's there's a lot more that could go wrong for him than go right for him, especially where you're drafting him. And, uh, you know, it wasn't too many years ago that he had that one great year with the Brewers where we made this same mistake of elevating him to third, fourth round status after a career year. And then, you know, I don't think it'll go as disastrously this time because there are fewer alternatives for the Marlins as there were for the Brewers then. But, you know, the batting skills aren't uh, aren't great for Jonathan VR. Whit Merrifield is the bust for me. I brought his name up earlier. He finished as the seventh best second baseman last year and the 10th best second baseman in fantasy points per game. Yet he's being drafted as the fifth second baseman off the board. His stolen bases went from 45 in 2018 to 20 last year. They were more than cut in half. Uh, his OPS in the second half dropped to 761, hit too many ground balls, uh, made less hard contact. If he's not giving you as many seals as he usually does, he's really just a batting average contributor. Um, and I do not like the cost of Whit Merrifield this season. So I will not own any of him. All right, guys, we have a lot of players to get to and not a lot of time. So let's jump right back into ADP review. And this mid-round group of Max Muncie, Jeff McNeil, and Mike Moustakas, these are players going in rounds six through nine. Scott, is this the group that you consider a cutoff for your starting second baseman? Uh, there's a tier drop here. Yeah, I actually have Boustakis in a lower tier than Muncie and McNeil. I'd be thrilled. I'd, I'd be pretty pleased with either Muncie or McNeil as my starter. Muncie especially is, is proven twice over. He's, you know, a big-time power hitter with elite on-base skills, uh, batting average liability in Roto League, but points league, obviously, you don't care about that. McNeil's a little more questionable. You know he has batting average skills. Where did the power come from? He did show it in the minors just before he got called up two years ago, that half season down there. So it didn't totally come out of nowhere, but you know, you look at his season-long splits, and it was like two versus 24 or something like that for first and second half. He had 24 total, but you know what I'm saying. It was extreme splits there with the home run output. Um, I'm pretty confident in him. Moustakis is fine. You know, I put him more with like Kevin Biggio. Obviously, my confidence level in Biggio is higher than Chris's is. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm fine with any of those guys as my starting second baseman, especially Muncie and McNeil. Yeah, if you had any concern over Muncie versus left-handed pitching last year, uh, la- entering last year, he had an 893 OPS against lefties, which was actually better against uh, righties, what he did last season. Chris, do you agree that Mike Moustaka should be a tier lower, or should he be part of this tier with Jeff McNeil and Max Muncie? Yeah, he's probably a tier lower, and part of that is just it's that same reason why I'm not that high on Pete Alonzo and Matt Olson is – you know, it's a power forward combo. He's uh, he's not going to help you much in batting average. We know who he is there. And so it's really just that three category, home run, runs, RBI. 
he gives you more home runs than most at at second base will. You know, he might might be the most likely player at the position to hit 35 homers. Um, but I guess maybe Glaber Torres, but either. Um, it's just he won't give you too much otherwise. He's kind of a, a high floor, low ceiling pick at second base. All right, I want to clarify what I said about McDeal. 23 homers total. Two came in the first two months, 21 over the last four. So that was the breakdown there. Yeah, he did have a bit of a, you know, home run profile in his minor league career where he did, he did lift the ball and he started doing that more over that four-month span, Scott. So Jeff McNeil is someone I find myself drafting a decent amount. He's really like a poor man's DJ LeMayhew. You know, makes a decent amount of contact, doesn't strike out all that much, should hit for a high batting average, and should yeah. hit near the top of a solid Mets lineup. It's not as good as the Yankees, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance he he goes on to be a, a more regular home run threat threat than LeMahieu has been. But if you're just talking about the context of this year's player pool, yeah, I can see that McNeil being a poor man's DJ LeMahieu and a good a good uh, a good way to catch up in batting average if you feel like you neglected that category early. Rounds 10 through 13, Eduardo Escobar going at pick 111, Kevin Biggio 127. Already spoke a lot about him. Tommy Edmond. At pick 137, has second base and outfield eligibility. And then Gavin Lux, pick 155. Scott, you're shaking your head a little bit. Why is that? There's a lot of players, a lot of interesting players to talk about here and not a lot of time to do it. But this is getting into that range I was talking about at the top of the show of interesting second baseman upside plays, but it could just go catastrophically wrong for you. Biggio we could include in that group but also Tommy Edmond, Gavin Lux, Garrett Hampson, who I don't think you mentioned yet, but he's coming up soon, I'm sure. Um, And, you know, actually the funny thing is, even though he's older, even though he has some amount of track record, Eduardo Escobar was the guy I was considering calling my bust instead of Jonathan Villar just a minute ago. Um, 35 home runs, 118 RBI last year. I think he was ninth in the major in RBI. And, like... That was much bigger than he'd ever done before, you know. And and unlike a lot of those mid-career breakouts, the 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 supporting numbers don't back it up. The expected stats don't back up the actual stats for Eduardo Escobar. I think the profile, I think a more realistic profile was the breakthrough he had in 2018 when he hit 23 homers in, with 84 RBI. And you're talking about the difference between uh, Eduardo Escobar being Mike Moustakis. Last year versus Ryan McMahon, what I think he's going to be going forward. So he's not somebody you know, like he, he's like just the ultimate last resort for me here at second base. If, uh, you know, preferring guys like Gavin Lux and Garrett Hampson, or at least waiting longer to get them than uh, than settling for Eduardo Escobar. Yeah, I keep flip flopping on Eduardo Escobar because. I agree with a lot of what you said, Scott. First three months, he hit 292 with an 893 OPS, 18 home runs. Final three months, he hit 244. His BABIP during the span was just 244. Yet his hard hit rate went up. His line drive rate dropped 4%. So I don't think a, a 4% drop in line drive rate explains nearly an 80% drop in BABIP over the final three months. So I think he was a little bit unlucky. I think he's a great player for points leagues. A lot of extra base hits. Even if some of those home runs take a step back, he's going to hit a lot of doubles. Um, Chris, you spoke a lot about Kevin Biggio. What do you think about Eduardo Escobar and Tommy Edmond? Tommy Edmond, I think it's fine. I don't, I don't buy the power that he hit for last year. I agree with I, I that. I think he's going to be just a. You're, you're hoping he's a batting average and stolen bases guy, and I'm not sure he's going to be, you know, this elite stolen bases guy. Um, Escobar is interesting because he might actually be the biggest bargain relative to what he actually did last season certainly at this position and is one of the biggest you know I think in the entire league you talk about you know Marcus Simeon being another one of those guys Marcus Simeon's you know in like the 80 range and he was a top five hitter Eduardo Escobar was the number 21 player or sorry number 31 player in Roto Leagues last season and he's being drafted 111th overall that's uh I don't know. I don't buy it. I agree with a lot of what Scott said. I think the bus potential is fairly limited, though, because that price is so steeply discounted. 
Gavin Lux going at pick 155, 22 years old, regarded as one of the top prospects in baseball between double A and triple A last year, hit 347 with an OPS over 1,000, 26 home runs and 10 steals. We do have some concerns over whether or not he can hit lefties. And I actually watched an interview with Dave Roberts recently where he was asked about weighing development versus competing this year, uh, specifically in regards to Gavin Lux. And he unsurprisingly said, if you perform, you're going to play. So I don't really know where that leaves us with Gavin Lux, but <laughs> I think, you know, to some degree, we think he is going to perform or at least I do, Scott. Yeah, I, I, it just means he controls his own destiny, probably. Um, you know, they have Enrique Hernandez and Chris Taylor who can platoon with him, but one of them is also going to be, be platooning with Jock Peterson. So it's, you know, they're, they're with the addition of the DH, there there's less they can do to stifle Gavin Lux's playing time. And yeah, the upside's very high. Top five prospect, basically, no matter what publication you look at. Um, so he might be a little undervalued at this point, but I, I understand not wanting to invest in him as your second baseman because, you know, if he doesn't hit the ground running, then you're you're panicking to find a replacement and there probably aren't too many out there. Yeah, probably more of a middle infielder in a Roto League than an actual starting second baseman uh, in any shallower format. Round 17 through 19, Brandon Lau, Ryan McMahon, Garrett Hampson, Kevin Newman, Colton Wong, and Rugned Odor. It's a very interesting collection of players here. We've got two Rockies, Kevin Newman, some batting average, some speed here. Um, Scott, I know that you're interested in Garrett Hampson. Brandon Lau, someone that we were most people were excited about heading into last season. Mm -hmm. He performed very well in the first half and then got hurt and really just kind of derailed his season. Any, yeah, any no, chance was, you go I, back to Brandon Lau? I was very high on him last year. Uh, he was one of my favorite breakout or sleeper picks. I forget exactly what it was. But yeah, I mean, when he was actually performing well, I had... This bad feeling in the pit of my stomach, you know, because um, it, it was just it just seemed destined to fall apart because he struck out at a Joey Gallo like rate, 34.6. Yep. And he does have a good power profile. I don't think the power was illegitimate, but he doesn't have like Joey Gallo's power profile. And even Joey Gallo struggles to hit, you know, 240. So, um and then you, the fact that the Rays have all these redundancies everywhere, and you know Brandon Lau is a left-handed hitter, is probably going to platoon. Like I would, I would include him among the the list of interesting upside plays at second base. But he's a riskier one than most because he has the two obvious uh, shortcomings there: the strikeout rate if it doesn't get better, and then the the likelihood of a platoon situation with the Rays. Yeah, last year, his first 76 games hit 276 with 16 home runs, 49 RBI, and five steals. That was, he was on pace for 34 homers, 104 RBI, and 10 steals. Hits a lot of line drives. Uh, interesting name there, Brandon Lau. Chris, any interest here? Uh, Lau, Ryan McMahon, Garrett Hampson, Kevin Newman, Colton Wong, Rugnet Odor? Yeah, I'm not quite sure why. I guess stolen bases are the reason, um, but... I find it to be a somewhat unsatisfying reason for why we would be high on Kevin Biggio and you both have break him as a breakout uh, and then relatively tepid on Brandon Lau. You know, the, the stolen bases are real. You know, Lau's ceiling is probably 10 in a full season. Um, he's got slightly above average speed. Uh, the hitting profile for Lau looks so much better than it does for Biggio. Uh, you know, the strikeouts are worse, although they weren't. Yeah. Yes, but they, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're still taking 29% for Kevin Biggio last season. Um, and they weren't that much of an issue for Lau to that extent in the past in the minors. And so, you know, I, I think there are reasons to believe that that could get better and, you know, maybe get back closer to that 28% rate. And if that happens, like if strikeouts are relatively close for the two of them, Brandon Lau is going to be a dramatically better hitter, uh, and especially for it's the also reasons. the playing. It's also the playing. Sure, sure, there, sure. I, I agree with that. But okay. um, just purely from a performance standpoint, if the strikeouts are even close, I think Brandon Lau is going to be a much better player or a much better hitter, especially, you know, walks have value in fantasy for sure, especially in a head-to-head -head points league. But, you know, 
in Roto, especially, they're actually they're not bad, but they're not great. Like you would rather a guy put the ball in play and produce runs and and or produce RBI and have more opportunities to produce home runs rather than just getting on base. Cause the only outcome there is either a stolen base or, or a run. And those are relatively infrequent for the amount of times guys get on base. So, you know, I, I think he's the playing time concerns are, are definitely a, an issue, but like he's being drafted in the same spot as Ryan McMahon. And I, I just, I don't get that. Chris, I heard your phone go off. I'm pretty sure that was Adam Azer texting you to uh, tell us to wrap it up here. So that's exactly <laughs> what we're going to do for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. See, you know, what we all look like here. Chris is wearing his faux Yankee shirt. It's, uh, the Richmond Virginians. The Richmond Virginians. Uh, International League Championship team, I believe. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> I've got my Diamondbacks hat on, and Scott is, uh, you know. I got a striped shirt. Yeah, nothing <laughs> nothing interesting today. I had to look down to see. I remind yeah, myself. Oh, I am wearing. I wearing anything interesting? All right, that'll do it. <laughs> Talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.